Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 644th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from the Urban Farm in the heart of Phoenix, Arizona, and I am with Christy Wilhelmy. Christy is the founder of Garden Nerd, the ultimate resource for garden nerds, where she publishes newsletters, her blog, top-rated podcasts, and YouTube videos. I've been on her podcast. She's been on our podcast. She also specializes in small space organic vegetable garden design consulting and classes. I think you have a class to tell us about tonight. She is the author of Gardening for Geeks, 400 Plus Tips for Organic Gardeners, that 400 Plus Tips for Organic Gardening Success, Mm -hmm. Grow Your Own Mini Fruit Garden, published by our friends at Cool Springs Press. They're a cool publishing house. And her upcoming, and I'm so excited about this. I can't tell you how excited about this. I want to get a copy of this as soon as it's available. Your upcoming novel called Garden, I'm getting chills. It's called Garden Variety. In yes. April of 2022, I'm so I, I'm a big fiction reader. I I have a stack of about 12 books sitting on my my headboard ready for me to read, and I'm just so excited about that. So, anyways, I digress. Welcome, thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you. I'm really happy to be here. And tonight we are talking mm-hmm. about planting at the right season. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when we for, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and it, it may differ a little bit where I am from where you are, but mm-hmm. we're both Southern-ish, so it's yeah. there's probably some similarities and crossovers. It just may there, be that you need protection and we don't. Right, there is. But then there are also cold season crops and warm season crops. And you started this conversation when we first got on, before we let people in the classroom, you started this conversation with a really curious story. You want to you share? Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of new clients lately, and I bring with me my list of fall crops, and pretty much every single one of them has said, why aren't tomatoes and cucumbers on this list? And I was like, okay, here's a teachable moment. Let's talk about this. So, you know, it's really, it is a, this, this idea of seasonality is something that we only really learn as gardeners because 
in the grocery store, these things are available all year round. And right. we don't know where they come from. We don't know where they're grown, but they're not grown in this hemisphere usually if they are, or they're grown in like heated greenhouses because they're not in season. So we're going to talk tonight about planting stuff that's actually going to grow well in the cooler season. It's my favorite growing season because A, we might get rain. <laughs> B, the stress on the plant is much less. And there are fewer bugs, if any, really at all for yeah. us. So I really, I just enjoy the fall gardening season so much more than the, right. the warm and hot season. Yeah. So what does in season mean? Oh gosh, broad question. If in season, it's like, you know, growing what grows when it's supposed to grow. I guess that's really not the right, right? <laughs> I don't know if there's no. any other way to say that, but. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, because when people, I think, you know, when you're, when you're new to gardening, it's best to grow things that are in season because it's going to be easier for you. Right. More advanced gardeners can try growing things out of season, but you know, generally nature kind of makes it work or not. And so you can, right. <laughs> you can create cold frames and greenhouses and, you know, protective enclosures for your stuff to grow out of season. But I find that even, even with that, it might just, things might just go dormant for a while until yeah. things, days get longer and temperatures warm up and that kind of thing. Or die. Or die. We're not right. doing well at all. You know, I, although I have to say, you know, where I live, we don't get a frost because I'm close to the ocean, not that close to the ocean, but coastal. And we still get the powdery mildew and all the stuff that goes with it, but we can overwinter things that are like technically perennials, like peppers. An eggplant, second year eggplant, second year peppers do really well here. So that's the kind of thing where we, we kind of leave a space for it in the garden if we want to keep it and nurture it through the winter because it's not going to die here. But that may be different where you live. To a certain extent. I have overwintered eggplants, peppers, and tomatoes before. Mm -hmm. Yes. I've oversummered kale. Yes. <laughs> kale, kale, you know, went through the summer a few times. I have some mm -hmm. kale out front right now that I planted a year and a half ago. So. Yeah. And I just pulled some three-year-old kale that was seed specifically bred by a company in your neck of the woods that it's called Black Magic Kale. And it is bred for growing in hot climates. And I kept Ooh. it alive through incredibly hot summers for three years. And it just finally was like, okay, we're done. And I pulled it, but it's the kind of thing that we should talk about seed adaptability. Oh my God. We're going to go off on so many tangents today. I can just feel it, <laughs> right. Greg. Well, so, but before we, I have a place I want to go. Yeah. yeah I have a place I want to go. I've, I've started my notes. Okay. Like, get some black magic kale seeds. Yeah. One of the problems that I have found is that we cannot trust nurseries and big box stores to bring in the right plant at the right time. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? That's right. I often, I am knocking on nursery doors in fall asking, where is the kale? And they're like, we're not going to carry it until spring. I'm like, what are you crazy? That is so not right. And there is, there seems to be, and I did a video about this. There seems to be this misconception or misunderstanding about summer squash versus winter squash. There are a lot of- uh, oh. They both grow in the summer. Exactly. They both <laughs> grow in the center. The, the name implies how long it stores. And so the, the idea for a lot of people, you know, they start reading things about winter squash and they're buying all these seeds for winter squash. I'm like, no, 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 no. They go in with your zucchini at the beginning of <laughs> spring, summer. Right. 
not now, not now. And, and so if I ever see somebody at a nursery, you know, the nursery's carrying these kinds of things, I'm like, okay, don't shop here. Just right. don't shop there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what's the fix for that? Knowing. For, <laughs> for, for the people listening out there, what is the fix for that? Well, knowledge is power, right? So learning, learning what, what things grow in the right time of year. You know, there are some seed companies that have a really good labeling system on their packets. Uh, mm-hmm. Botanical Interest is one of them. They have right mm-hmm. on the front, it says cool season or warm season. And so that's a good guideline. Uh, having books that are right for your region is another one. I, in Gardening for Geeks, I divide, I don't talk about spring and fall or spring and summer. I talk in, in terms of cool season and warm season because uh, cool season for me is different from somebody's cool season in Vermont. Right. So we want to talk about cool season vegetables in this conversation to make sure everybody knows what they are so they can choose wisely and move forward and enjoy. Right. And the simplest thing you can do is actually get a planting calendar for your region. Yeah, that helps. And the, the simplest thing to do is type in the name of your city and planting calendar. If you're in the desert Southwest, I put one out. It's free. It's at plantingcalendar.org, but that's for the low desert that shows, so different. which is so different, which shows us planting tomatoes in, you know, February. If you're going to do them from seed, you need to start them in early December. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, which uh, I had somebody tell me today, I can't even remember who it was. I was talking to someone and they they said, my tomatoes didn't do very well this year. And I said, when did you plant them? And they said, May. Oh no. Yeah. Cause that's what regular garden books are talking about. Way too late. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, going into a, a nursery and seeing brassicas, kales, broccoli, cauliflower, that kind of stuff, Brussels sprouts in March, April, forget about it. Forget about it. We have this thing here called the Bagrata bug. I don't know if you guys get them too, but they came up from Mexico. They're an invasive beetle. Mm -hmm. They look a lot like a Harlequin bug. They're orange and green. I'm sorry, orange and black and a little bit of white, but they are their own thing. And you usually see them in pairs because they have sex while they're eating your food. And they are awful because- Yes, we have them here. Yeah, they're a stink bug. They Birds don't eat them. Nothing eats them. They have no predator, really. And they eat your brassicas. And so, and brassicas, by brassicas, I mean not only your coal, your, your bro- broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kohlrabi, Brussels sprouts, and kale. I'm also talking about your arugula, your mustard greens, and your radishes, because those are also in the brassicaceae family. And those guys, they're bad. And they show up, they yes. breed in the soil in temperatures over 73 degrees. And so if you're growing in temperatures under 73 degrees, you won't have that problem. Yeah. yeah. And then, and you know, and then you go into a nursery in September, October, and they're selling tomatoes and squash. <laughs> Which is at that point, I think they're just trying to clear the shelves. Honestly, I just don't. I just, a little nutty. Yeah. Yeah. So, so your idea of having, you know, looking at, we have the interwebs, which is great. And so the idea of looking up a local planting calendar for your region is good. I I find even for me that the the lists usually come for California. They come from UC Davis, which is up north. 
Right. So it's still inaccurate. So for folks in the southern, you know, southern California regions or coastal areas where you don't have the really high desert issues, gardennerd.com has that stuff. Every year I publish a fall and a spring planting guide. So that's where, you know, that's where I send people to my right. own website because I've done the research. Right? Exactly. Yeah. We've been, you know, we've been playing with this stuff for a long time and that's what I love that we, you know, that we teach. Yeah. I'm going to just do something here real quick. I'm going to share my screen. Ooh, okay. I'm is this your share. planting calendar? You yeah, I'm just going to show plant? people what a planting calendar looks like. Excellent. And we actually, I originally did it in 2002 and we updated it because of the, the you know, the heat mm-hmm. has changed so many things. That's not what I wanted to do. For you guys listening on the podcast, you're going to, if you want to see my planting calendar, you're going to have to go to plantingcalendar.org and download one. That is nice. Yeah. So basically what this, and I'll, I'll explain it so people can, you know, get it that are listening. So beans. So fava beans is one of the beans that is on my bean list. And we have a green area on here, which is the harvest time. So fava beans are a winter bean here. Mm-hmm. And they you harvest them January through uh, what's that about a, April fifteenth end of yeah middle April somewhere yeah. in there yeah and then plant them from seed in starting fall. in September yeah you plant them in seed in the fall so that's really what you're looking for in a planting calendar is it'll tell you all right cabbage goes in in August and September for and you guys for us for <laughs> us here yes for us. For us, we still have really hot temperatures through October most of the time. And so I tell people to hang out until the end of October and start putting things in in early November so they don't bolt to seed because of stress. Mm -hmm. So it really is regional. Well, here's what I found, that the hardier greens, the Mm -hmm. hardier you know, the kales, the the brassicas, Mm -hmm. you can actually plant them here in the beginning of October. Okay late September, early October, and you, they still have the warmth to start growing. But by the time they're six weeks in, it's cooled off enough and they're growing the way they're supposed to grow. That's what I found here. That is nice. I'm looking at our monthly forecast and it looks like this October for Southern California is going to be cooler than it has been in the mm-hmm. previous years. So we may be putting things in a little bit earlier this year, nice. kind of mid-October. Yeah. Uh, but I've got my brassicas in, in in seed trays under grow lights right now. They all popped oh. up and the lights are on and they're just three inches above the, the, the uh, leaf surface and they're on their way. So you actually pre-start your seeds. I do. I do. Oh. I grow them indoors because my beds are not prepped yet. That's one of the one of the biointensive methods that I utilize is starting seeds indoors under grow lights because I'm still, you know, if I'm still pumping out stuff in the garden or in this case have not made enough compost for it to be ready in time to prep the beds before right. I need to transplant those, you know, that's that kind of happens. So this allows by starting seeds in trays indoors or outside, but somewhere else outside yes. of the beds, it allows you the chance to, you know, overlap things, you putting things in that are really a lot further along and you you get as much out of the bed as possible. Yeah. 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 And then leaves. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, but I do so. My lettuces, arugula, spinach, and root veggies are all direct sow for me. I directly seed those in the beds. Oh, perfect. And those, we have to wait for, you know, the 
the lettuces and arugulas, that kind of stuff. We have to wait to put those in until November 1st. Yeah, those um, those can go in a little later. And they are, although, let's talk about seeds, you know, soil temperature, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. your soil temperature, I think we had this conversation before where your soil temperatures get really high, but if you yep. put down a lot of mulch, then you don't. But for, you know, seed germination, seeds generally have a range of temperatures where they want to be in order to germinate. And that they like to germinate in warmer temperatures, Mm -hmm. but then they want to mature in the cooler temperatures. So if you check your seed packets, then you'll have, you'll be informed as to whether your soil is ready to receive seeds or not. Yeah. So what are some tips? I think you wrote a book on 400 tips, right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, What are some tips for fall planting? So many. I think one of the things, so I I tend to guide people through the process of choosing what they want to grow. I always recommend that people try something new each year. So Mm -hmm. for me, love it. one of the things I recommend to people because they've probably never grown it is kohlrabi. I love that vegetable. It is the alien. Yeah. It's the sideshow Bob hair alien vegetable. I just love it. It is one of the first brassicas that become that are that reach maturity in the garden. So you're going to harvest those before any of your broccoli, your ca- your cabbage, your ca- uh, cauliflower, any of that, mm-hmm. your Romanesco. And you can plant them if you're doing you know square foot gardening or biointensive spacing. You can plant them six inches apart, so you can uh-huh. get a lot of them in the space. And if you are paleo, you can use them as they're the paleo potato. So um, oh yes right? Because you can slice them raw, you can eat them raw, you can peel them and steam them for about eight minutes, diced up, and then pull off the lid, boil off, you know, turn up the heat, cook off the water. And and there's a purple variety too, which I love growing. It's not purple on the inside, but it is pretty on the outside. When you, once you boil off the the water that's in the pan, you add a little olive oil and saute it until it browns up. And then it's like potatoes. They taste like potatoes with a little bit of broccoli flavor in there. They're delicious. I love them. And they're really easy to grow. Nice. Oh, and you can eat the leaves. Sorry. Right. I was going to say that. (laughs) So this is, this is a, it's kind of, I think you said alien looking, right? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And for those of you that are on live, you can see a picture of it. Otherwise go to, you know, your search engine and put in kohlrabi, but there's this round vegetable that kind of looks potato-like or onion-like structurally, and it's got green leaves coming out of it. And so. Yeah. It's an above ground bulb. And it was, you know, how all the brassicas were bred from the same initial plant. Lineage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the, the kohlrabi was bred for the stem, which ended up bulbing up into this little above ground bulb that we have. And it's, it's just fun because it's really, it's ready quickly and it's, uh, it's delicious and you can do a lot with it. Yeah. One of my favorite gardening tips, I'm going to ask you for your favorite gardening tip. One of my favorite gardening tips when planting seeds is you take an old bed sheet, have it sitting nearby. You plant out all your seeds because the birds love to come and find the seeds and the bugs love to get the plant starts. Plus mm-hmm. birds will get your plant start too. So what I often do is I plant out my bed and then I take an old bed sheet and I just lay it on top and leave it there for two to four weeks until the plants are like, you know, starting to push their way up. You can start seeing your plants coming up. And that helps with bug control, bird control, 
and it's kind of like a top mulch, so it keeps a little moisture down there. So that's one of my favorite gardening tips for planting from seed. Yeah, that's I use floating row cover, which is yep. similar to the bed sheet. It's a little thinner and sunlight and water penetrate through it. And it's called floating row cover because it's lightweight enough that plants will push it up. And, yes. and that's, I love, it's like watching Jiffy Pop popcorn. It's right. Like, you know, when the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the garden starts to explode and it's pretty soon you have to take the floating row cover off. But I really like the floating row cover or any kind of protection in that way because yeah. it keeps the cabbage moths from laying their eggs on the undersides of your brassicas, which is a huge oh. thing. So protection yeah. is key on that. I mean, especially when it comes to kale. I'm a kale whore. I say I grow 16 varieties of kale every year. Whoa, really? I love them. I love every bit of it and I just adore it. So I am. Wow. Okay. And back to the, just diverge for a second here. The, the new kale I'm growing this year is called thousand head kale. And it's apparently like each leaf is three feet long. I'm so excited. Where'd you get the seeds? Baker Creek. Oh, okay. Of course. Baker Creek is an Baker awesome Creek. place to get seeds. Yeah. What's it so, called? Uh, thousand head thousand head kale so check it out it's giant it's the size of an like an elephant ear you know it's huge uh -huh. so okay where was i so the uh the protection on your brassicas one of the reasons why i see a lot of disappointment in the garden is when especially new gardeners they grow kale they're very excited about they grow cabbage, broccoli, whatever. And they get disappointed because they see that it's being eaten up like crazy. And yep. there's an educational component to that about learning what cabbage moth eggs look like. They're tiny chartreuse little dots that mm -hmm. stand up from the leaf and they're on the undersides of the leaves most of the time. And if you catch them, if you inspect the leaves every day or so, every couple of days, and most people don't have a huge yard where they can't do a quick spot check every couple of days. Right. Um, and I just flick them off, brush them off with my thumb at ah, that stage when they're good. that young. Cause once you learn to identify them, you're like, Oh, not in my garden and you're just <laughs> playing them right. off. But then, you know, if you don't know how to identify them or you haven't checked in a while and you don't have protection over the bed, they will turn into those little green caterpillars that start nibbling holes in everything. And, yep. and those caterpillars, then you have to, you know, look for them. And oftentimes they end up running along the stem or again on the underside of the leaves. And they're a little harder to see because they're the same color as the leaf. And you have to find them and pull them off and squish them under your mighty shoe, as I've said in the past. And I, I would much rather have people do that than pull out the BT, Bacillus thuringiensis spray, and spray the leaves they're planning on consuming. So I, I, I tend to veer away from sprays when uh -huh. these two fingers, you know, can be the best pest control or a protective floating row cover. Yeah. Well, in BT, if you use it, you know, after a week or two, it goes away. Right. right? But I'm always, I'm always out there every day picking leaves. So I'm like, right? eh. yeah, there you go. One of the things I've noticed this year that, so I've been gardening in Phoenix since 1975, however many years ago that is, that's what, 45 years ago? Yeah. I have never seen so many moths. Are you guys having the same thing there? We have had an uptick in just about every kind of critter there is. Yeah. Uh, we've had a huge increase in leaf hoppers, a really big increase in ants, and therefore aphids and yep. mealybugs and whitefly, like all the other Ooh. things that they feed, that mm -hmm. they farm. The rats have been devastating for us this year. And I, I think it's because when we went away on lockdown, 
all of these animals, the wildlife had a chance to increase their breeding cycles by yep. tenfold and they just repopulated because they're like, no one's around. Yeah. They didn't get interrupted and everything. So we've been having terrible rat problems. Did you say rats? Rats. Oh my gosh. I have recently found something for rats. Tell that me. <laughs> I'm, I'm really loving. It's by a company called Senestech. Senestech. It is birth control for rats. Senestech birth control for rats? Yep. It makes them sterile? It does. And I'm going to look this up. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm trying to come up with their website right now. Is it uh, yeah. safe? Is it safe for the cats who eat them, particularly mine? Because my um, cat eats rats. Yeah, so she uh, leaves no trace. Apparently, it is. We're. I'm still experimenting with them. They they approached me about six or eight months ago. After interestingly, in it must have been maybe six months ago in May, I got a phone call from a reporter that wanted to know about rats and you know managing rats, and they asked me about this product called ContraPest. And they call it the rodent fertility control solution. And it's supposed to just impact the rats. Okay. And it basically, it's, it's, it doesn't make them sterile. It's like a birth control with them. So I'm still experimenting with it. And, okay. you know, with, with, with chickens, you know, we have a few rats around and we've, I've noticed that the rat population around the valley has exploded in the past year or so. Yeah. 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 And, and I have particularly smart rats, meaning they have, I have bought every kind of trap there is. I've tried yep. every kind of bait there is. And they're yep. like, Oh, ha, ha, ha. And yep, so it's exactly. funny because my brother tries the same thing and he lives like an hour away and he catches every single night. He catches a rat. I'm like, you have stupid. Oh, rats. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mine are, Right. I can put the snap traps out and they work for a couple nights and then they completely avoid them. So yeah, they um, learn. Yeah. We could go on all night about that. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Jewel wants to know, is that what the yellow butterflies I'm seeing are? are they really moths? Those are moths. Yeah. Yep. The, the yellow and the white cabbage, yep. the cabbage about moths the size are, of a quarter. Yeah. And they're white and they have little diamonds, black diamonds on their, on either wing. And mm -hmm. the yellow ones are a different, species of but they still they're still the cabbage they're still cabbage moths mm -hmm. and they are problematic but floating row cover keeps them from laying their eggs on the leaves right yeah yeah well and carrie from san diego wants to know will the row covers help the beetle from mexico um, you know it depends because the timing is such that they breed in the soil so they're going to come up from underneath uh, that row cover if you're not careful, which uh, is why I just don't grow brassicas in the spring because they're coming out of the ground. Yep. But, I, but I do have a trick for treating them, not treating them, but corralling them. You can leave one plant as a trap crop and they'll all be on that, hundreds of them. And I get two buckets. One bucket I fill with about two inches of water and I spray the surface with that in, with a BT insect spray because it breaks yep. the surface tension or a soap spray will work fine. A couple drops of dish soap will do the same thing. And then with the other bucket, I go up to the trap crop plant and I bang on it and they like a hundred of them will fall into the bucket. And then I draw, I dump the bucket into the other bucket with the water and they drown, walk away, 
go do something else. And then repeat until you've gotten, you know, 400 of the bugs off for the day. Repeat that every day for a week and you'll pretty much have reduced the population to nothing. All right. That's what I do. I love it. I guess you could also put a white bucket over the whole plant and cook them. Yeah, I guess you could, huh? (laughs) (laughs) But, but that would kill the plant too. Then you would have your, yeah. yeah. Wow. Incredibly resilient. And um, I've gotten to the point where I squish them without gloves on. I'm that used to it. So yeah. Stinky bug. So back to the question, what's your favorite planting tip for cold season, cool season crops? Okay. There's so many to choose from. If not floating row cover, well, let's see. Okay. I'm going to just throw out a pea tip because a lot of people, a lot of people think that they have to grow peas in the spring. And honestly, they don't do as well as they do in the fall. I grow mine in the fall. And the reason why they do the best in the fall is because they really like cold, cooler temperatures. And so I plant them along a trellis and I will split my trellis. So I have a four by four bed and I'll Mm -hmm. do two feet of sugar snap peas and two feet of snow peas in a line along the Mm -hmm. trellis. Mm -hmm. And the sugar snaps will grow really tall and reach the top of the trellis in no time, but they don't produce peas right away. It's the snow peas that only grow to about half the height of the trellis, but then they start cranking out the the peas. And so you get snow peas first, then sugar snaps, and then, you know, you're getting both for a while. So I like A, grow them in the fall and B, plant more than one variety on the same trellis and have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that the first peas here in the low desert that I found is that I usually plant them in October or November timeframe and they'll get growing. And by the, and usually we get a few of them Mm -hmm. and then by, you know, mid December, it gets really cold and they just slow way down. Yeah. And then the moment that it warms up, they just explode. Right. And, and here in coastal Southern California, ours grow and produce all through winter and into spring, but mostly they're covered in powdery mildew starting from the bottom and working their way up. And I just keep, I ignore, first of all, I don't treat for powdery mildew. I, it's just part of our lives. Right. Again, I'd rather not, I'm just like, whatever I'll spray with compost tea. If I brew compost tea, I'll do that, but I just don't fight it. I just, I'm going to keep harvesting those peas until the powdery mildew consumes the plant. And then I carefully remove all of it and take it out of the garden in time to plant spring crops. So that's the timing here, but either way they grow better in the fall than they do in the spring. And I love growing shelling peas as a cover crop. That's awfully fun. Oh yeah. Like Austrian cover crop peas. Um, I always forget which one. So green arrow, is that the one that's only 24 inches tall? My brain there's, I I have two. I think that's the one green arrow shelling peas are really, they're fun to grow and you can shell them in front of a movie or with friends, you know, it's just nice to do. Are they also edible? Oh yeah, they're edible. Yeah. So Ah. I I like, you don't want to eat the, the pod because they're very fibrous. They are a true shelling pea, but you can either grow them as a cover crop and cut them down and turn them in, or you can actually just wait for them to mature and harvest them and they're delicious. And I freeze them for all the rest of the time. Very good. Very good. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. So one of the things that I grow here a lot of is cow peas. Oh, yeah. You guys are good with cow peas. Yeah. And they're not, you know, you can eat them when they're small, but they're a nitrogen fixer and a cover crop Mm -hmm. that grows really well in the summer. Mm -hmm. 
to shade the ground. And uh, so right now I'm harvesting, a, you know, buckets of them. And that's what I do at night when I'm watching TV with Heidi is we, uh, yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Showing your cow peas. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So what's, what's the importance of a cover crop, especially during the hot time of year to cover your dirt, your right. soil? Well, you had mentioned in one of our previous talks that the, your soil temperature gun, you had a digital thermometer and you could yep. see the difference in the temperature. Yeah, uh, like of by a, 60 degrees. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, but over the winter, it's, it's great if you're a, not going to grow anything, which is a shame, but if you're not, if you're shutting your garden down for the winter, don't just leave the soil bare, plant a cover crop because you're adding your especially if you're growing a nitrogen fixing, say a legume or a, a combination of, of leguminous crops as a cover crop, it protects the soil. It puts biomass back in the soil. It feeds the microbes that are in the soil. So you're producing, you know, sugars and, and I always forget the word acids, humic acids, yep. <laughs> humic acids for the fungi and the bacteria in the soil. And then you're also fixing nitrogen. If it's a leguminous crop, it's pulling atmospheric nitrogen out of the sky, fixing it into the roots. And then when you cut it down, you let those roots decompose. You don't pull them. You just leave them there. You cut everything down. And I have to cut things down right under the soil surface or else they'll just start growing again. Right. But yeah, so I, I use my shears and I cut right below the soil surface. I lay down those the biomass on the top of the bed, chop it up with a shovel to get it into about two inch, three, four inch pieces and then cover it all with compost and then water it and leave it. And yeah. then, in, and that's usually in spring, You're like, well, late, late winter in February, I do that. And then it's ready to plant my tomatoes. Right. So it's like got extra nitrogen, biomass, fungal activity, blah, 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 all the good stuff. And you've provided over the winter, you've provided habitat for other critters and pollination, you know, a supply of nectar and pollen for bees and stuff. Right. And the ground bees, that you know they've been soil dwelling bees yeah yeah exactly mm -hmm. one of the things that i found years ago that is great for just cutting the weeds off or the cover crops off just below the ground it's about a six inch long vinyl carpet cutter interesting it's, it's got about a two inch blade on it that's curved and I have about six of them, you know, in every every one of my toolboxes and everything. And, it, you know, you just hold on to the handle. It's got a nice solid handle on it. And you grab the cover crop or weed and just take it a half inch below the soil line. And bada boom, you're good. I love it when we talk, Greg, because I always learn something right? <laughs> every time. Yeah. No, one of the things, and I, it's actually, I wrote this into my novel that I, you know, that every year I, the hand cramp I get and the cursing that comes out of my mouth every time I have to cut down a cover crop by hand, because uh -huh. I'm like, just buy a scythe. And I'm so afraid of them. It's never, I'm just like, I'm never going to do it. But this, this I right. can handle. This is good. Right. Well, and, and you know, the scythes, did I say that right? That's yeah. more for cutting uh, above ground. Right. Exactly. You know, we need something that we can get under the ground and, uh, you know, get on it with. Let's see here. Mary, Mary Lynn, Christy answered this, but she shot it to the host and panelist. It's called floating row cover. It's this white sheer. Gauzy cloth, right? synthetic fabric. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, I usually end up going for the summer weight level thickness of fabric. Mm. There are regular weights and there are oh. even insulated weights for oh. people with frost issues. So 
There are so many. I, I send people toward Gardener Supply a lot of times for that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And then, you know, Agravon is a big, big uh, oh, farm, yes. yep. farm supplier uh, and Peaceful Valley Farm and Garden Supply often sells that kind of stuff. So I don't know if you have a shop with stuff like that in it or not, but I didn't want to plug something. If it, oh, you should, mean for, we should be sending people the urban to your farm website. now? Yes. No, we, we have uh, drip tape. Okay. Uh, you know, we have drip tape supplies because drip tape is a farmer level product and, you know, it's not it's not for home gardeners. It's not sold for home, home yeah, gardeners. It's sold in like thousand foot bundles or something, right? 10,000 foot bundles. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what we do is we buy the 10,000 foot lengths and we break it down to a hundred foot and wrap them up and have all the parts. So, so we have that. And then we have the foliar feeds that we, from high creation. So, yeah. So tell us about your books. Okay. Well, you know what? Before we get to that, I just feel like I want to I want to just rattle off a list of fall crops just so everyone has that. Oh, yes, yes. Perfect. Here. Okay, cool. Because, uh, you know, like, how do you know what to grow? Well, I'm going to tell you. So we already talked about brassicas, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kohlrabi, Brussels sprouts, kale, and collard greens also. And then your all the salad greens. So lettuces, which where you, you know, some of your people live, you may need protection for those because they're tender. But, yep. you know, I grow 10 different varieties of lettuce every winter, every fall, winter. Mm-hmm. I grow three different kinds of mustard greens. I grow arugula, both wild and non-wild, like the more mm-hmm. tame and the kind of, they still volunteer, both of them volunteer all over everywhere. Right, exactly. Um, and I love growing mosh. Mosh, I have three different varieties of mosh. It's grow grain mosh. It's, it looks like it's spelled like mache, M-A-C-H-E, but it's, oh. there's no accent. It's just mosh. Um, and that is a fun one. And you can throw in any other favorite salad things you like to grow, like parsley and cilantro. They grow best in fall, unfortunately, for your salsa garden. Um, right. I love growing all my root veggies. Carrots, I grow five different varieties of carrots, parsnips, turnips, radishes. I grow at least six different varieties of radishes. Oh no, 10. Cause I do, I do t- the winter radishes. We let's talk winter radishes and spring radishes. So spring mm-hmm. radishes are your cherry bells and your French breakfasts and those kind of things. And those, those are, they're going to be ready to harvest in 30 days. Your winter radishes are the ones like black Spanish and watermelon and one of my favorites, like Bora King. And I grow a lot of winter radishes. Daikon is a winter radish. Oh, yeah. Those guys take a lot longer. They're going to grow through the winter a bit more and they're not done in 30 days, but they're going to drill big, deep holes in your soil, which is mm-hmm. something you can do if you want to break up compacted soil over winter yeah. and you want to cover crop. You don't have to worry about that's yeah. something to do. Peas? Okay. We already talked about peas, right? Yep. So peas, sh- uh, sugar snap, snow, and shelling all grow in the fall. And what am I missing? I feel like I'm missing garlic, onions. Oh, right. The whole allium family. So garlic, onion, shallots. Yes. This is the time you plant them. The the thing about this you need to know, of course, is that you do need to allot space for them in the spring because they're still going to be there. The, the, for us anyway, we plant in October and they grow through until about uh, March, April. And then Mm -hmm. even the shallots will last a bit longer. They, I had shallots in until June because they just kind of sat there doing nothing. Oh, and chard, one of my favorites. Oh chard, yeah. Chard Hello. and spinach. You got to do your, your chetopodaceas, your chard, spinach, spinach and beets. And chard is one of those things that will carry on for about a year and a half if, if left to its own devices. And I absolutely adore it. So those are my favorites. Nice. 
Did awesome. I get everything? Did I miss I think anything? so. I think so. I, <laughs> Off the top uh, of my head. Yeah. Well, and there's a whole lot there. Yeah. You know? It's the best growing season. Right. Never shut down your garden in fall. It's the best growing season. <laughs> Amen yeah. to that. Okay. Your books and where okay. can people find them? Yes. So Gardening for Geeks and Grow Your Own Mini Food Garden. Fruit Garden. Sorry. My own mess of my own title. Grow your own mini fruit garden. Those are both available anywhere books are sold. You can also get autographed copies at gardennerd.com. Yes, please uh, go there and do that. Yeah. And if you already have a copy of either of them, I can also send you an autographed book plate that you can slap on the inside. And that's available on the website too. So you can check oh, that. Oh, very good. Yeah. Awesome. And tell me about what I'm so excited about. Tell oh. me about your novel. Oh, about Garden Variety. Okay, so Garden Variety is set in a community garden in Southern California in Los Angeles in the middle mm-hmm. of the city. And it's uh, it's like what happens when you put a bunch of different kinds of people together in the same place in small quarters. So that is set to, to be released from William Morrow, the HarperCollins imprint, March 29th. Pre-orders are available on Amazon and your favorite your favorite bookstore. I'm going to spell my last name for you because somebody's asking. W-I-L-H-E-L-M-I, first name Christy. And it is pretty hard to say. That's why I just go, <laughs> I just say Christy from Garden Nerd. But will help me. It's like, will help me. It's, it's will help me without the P, will help me. Uh, uh, so you'll find all my books. If you look me up, I do have an Amazon author page. So you'll see all of those there. And you can pre-order Garden Variety right now if you want to. Um, I'm right. very excited about it. So thank you for letting me plug that. Oh my gosh, of course. And are, you're doing a live class starting in October. Or... Yes. So my very last, I'm, I've been teaching the Gardener, is a basic organic gardening 101 course. That's a four class course. Each class is two hours for the local Santa Monica College here. I've been teaching that since 2008. And I have decided three times a year since 2008 and sometimes four times a year, but I have decided I'm going to no longer teach that class. I'm going to turn it into an online course after this. So the last time you'll be able to take it from me live will be, it starts October 3rd. It's run Sundays, the four Sundays in October. And I should say what time it is, but I don't remember. It's actually, this is live in Los Angeles. So you have to show up in a classroom there, right? It's no, actually it's remote live. So you can take it from anywhere you are in the world. Oh my gosh. Great. Yeah, And it's, it's running from two to 4 PM uh, Pacific time. So you will be able to, if you sign up through Santa Monica college and there's a link for it on my classes page on gardennerd.com, you'll be able to sign up there. And then I will send you the zoom link. So you can drop into my kitchen slash office and we'll, we'll talk gardening for four weeks. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Congratulations. It's, Sharing your yeah. passion. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about it. It's it's basically you'll find it that gardening for geeks is basically the companion manual for that whole oh, course. Very so good. Everything I teach is in that book. Very good. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Any last final thoughts before we sign off? Uh plant a fall garden. I think I've said it enough. Yeah. But really, just if you were on the fence, just like, let me just knock you over because it's the best growing season ever and you definitely want to do it. Amen to that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us once again. This is the third or fourth time we've had you. Yeah. And uh, I love your smile and your positive attitude about all this. How can people find you? That's what I, yes. Absolutely. Go to gardennerd.com, G-A-R-D-E-N, 
erd.com. Although I do own the domain that has two ends in case you mess up, you'll end up in the right place. Nice. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter under Garden Nerd One. I have a YouTube channel I'll call, called Garden Nerd as well. And just, you know, find us. Then we, yeah. we have follow, find and have fun with us. <laughs> and plant something in your garden. Plant something. Yes. Grow something. Sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks right. so much, Greg. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. When I press end, we're all going to go away. So um, it's been great chatting. I'll catch up with you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.